0: take your Bible with me and turn to John chapter 14 this morning. John chapter 14. Kids ages three and four. Head back to the back. Levi and Brianna will take you to your classroom this morning. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are still a few on the back table back there. Black hardcover Bibles. Feel free to pick one of those up uh, and uh, have these words in front of you as we read them together this morning, as we consider them. Our time in God's Word is always greatly helped by having the words of God in front of us uh, so that we can reference them together as we consider what God has spoken to us through the Apostle John, inspired by the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, we're going to look at six verses here this morning, beginning in verse 12, and I'll read through verse 17. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 12, and... I'll conclude in verse 17. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. The right words spoken at the right time can be a great kindness to us. I'm sure in the midst of a difficult time in your life, and many of us can even remember, likely, a time where we were having a difficult time or going through a season where things were hard and trials were upon us, and someone spoke a kindness to us, something that was a great help to you. The Proverbs uh, talk about our words a lot, and in Proverbs 15 23, Uh, Solomon writes, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. The opposite, though, can be quite true, too. Many of us have found ourselves in situations where we're struggling, where we're in the midst of much difficulty and trouble and trial and and turmoil. And uh, and someone has put their foot in their mouth, or maybe that's us, where we put our foot in our mouth, trying to say something that's beneficial to someone when they're struggling, going through something, going through a difficult time. The good news for us this morning is that Jesus' words are always perfectly calibrated for us when we come to them in His Word. Jesus' words are always perfectly intended to come to us at the particular moment that we might need to receive them. From cover to cover, your Bible contains the words that Christ has spoken to us from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 21, all inspired by Jesus Christ, the living Word of God. We see a great example of that here this morning in our text. Jesus speaking apt answers to his disciples in the midst of their trouble, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of the question, what is going to happen next now that you are leaving Jesus? Remember where we've been in John's gospel. It's been a few weeks, but Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and like I said, they just have come to this realization that Jesus is leaving. He's going away. He's alluded to it a few times, but now he's told them directly, I'm going away. And in John chapter 13, verse 33, Jesus says it explicitly. He says, "He says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I, as, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And then that's followed by a very important command about loving one another. He tells the disciples that they should love one another. That that is their witness to the world, that they ought to love one another as he has loved them. The disciples, though, get hung up on what Jesus says in verse 33 of chapter 13. And Peter, Peter asks this question Then in verse 36, he says, Lord, where are you going? He wants to know where Jesus is going. He wants to follow after him. He wants to go there as well. And Jesus reiterates that Peter cannot come. And then in Peter's flesh, he rashly vows that he'll follow Jesus even into death, which on his face looks to us like something that's admirable, something that's good. But, G- but Peter doesn't understand the whole story yet. Jesus tells Peter that not only will Peter not follow Jesus into death, But he'll deny him not once or twice, but three times. This is troubling. If this is the case, and everything that Jesus has said so far has become the case or happened, and the disciples follow and understand and are beginning to grasp who this Jesus truly is, when he tells Peter that he'll deny him three times, this is troubling. And so in chapter 14, verse 1, we looked at this a few weeks ago, Jesus tells the disciples, look at it with me. Chapter 14, verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Where Jesus is going, they will come later. He tells them this in verse 2. He's going to prepare a place for them. But how do we know the way? How do we know how to get to this place that you're preparing for us, Jesus? Thomas asks this question or he says, "We don't know the way. We don't know. How can we know the way?" And Jesus counters again, and the disciples know the way, not because they have the road map, but because they know Jesus. Because the way isn't a road. The way is a person. They know the way, and the way is Jesus. John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. After we looked at that passage together, the discussion that my wife had with our kids um, was an apt illustration. They were asking about this. How can a person be away? How can a person understand and know the way to God? And my wife's response was, do you have a friend whose house you've never been to? And the answer was yes. We know several people who we've never seen their house. And they said, how would you get to that person's house if that person invited you over? And they said, well, mom and dad would drive us there. The way isn't a road map, it's not Google Maps for our children, it's through us as their parents. It's through us as those who they trust to take us to the destination. This is the same with Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way we put our trust in Him. We believe that He will not lead us astray, but will lead us home to the place that He has prepared for us. Jesus assures his disciples that he is one with the Father and if they've seen him they've seen the Father. They can know what Jesus is saying is true because he is in fact God. His words, his actions, everything that they've witnessed is the will of the Father because he is in perfect unity with the Father. There's no part of them that is not in sync. There is no element of the Father's will and Jesus's will that doesn't Perfectly correspond. So now we come to this text. And we see Jesus saying to them several things in relation to what He set out to do at the beginning of chapter 14. Speak words of comfort to troubled hearts. Jesus is still intending to speak troubled or speak words of comfort to troubled hearts this time in the form of three promises so in our text this morning beginning in verse 12 through verse 17 jesus is going to give us three promises and these were given to his disciples in order that their hearts would not be troubled and in order that their faith might be established and grown even further So these three promises, they're going to guide our time together as we look at these verses this morning. Three promises. First, the promise of usefulness. Second is the promise of prayer. And thirdly is the promise of the helper. Three things. The first, again, the promise of usefulness. The promise of usefulness. As Christians, we like to celebrate Uh, Christians who have gone before us, men and women in history who have professed Christ and done amazing things. We call them maybe giants of the faith. Men like Martin Luther, who sparked the Reformation in Europe. Or missionaries like someone like Amy Carmichael, who opened an orphanage in India and shared the gospel with hundreds of children and wrote nearly three dozen books. And you know stories of Christian men and women, some who you have uh, latched onto and enjoyed reading their works. And they're still, even have, sometimes after hundreds of years, making impact in, in us. Some of their teaching and books still influencing many of the things that we do and many of the ways in which we think. And when Jesus speaks to his disciples here, He knows the work that they would do. He knows the work that they would do. Look at what he says in verse 12. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Jesus anticipates the things that are going to be done through the 11 remaining men in the room with him. That these ones were going to do incredible things. And we're going to see them recorded in the book of Acts. Amazing things that Jesus does through his disciples. What were the works that Jesus' disciples will do? And what about us? Because he says right here, he says, whoever believes in me will also, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. For those of us who are in Christ, that includes us. He's not speaking just about the 11 that remain, but but us as well. And so to better understand the works Jesus is talking about, we need to consider two components. Things that have come up previously in John and then in this passage as well. And the the first thing, the first component that I want you to recognize when Jesus is talking about his works here is that the works come by faith. Where do the works come from? Well, they come by faith. If you remember back in John chapter 6, Jesus has just fed the 5,000 and uh, then he gets the question from the crowd as they've followed him around the countryside looking for another meal. Um, They're following him around and then they ask him this question. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now, how will the disciples who Jesus is speaking to in John chapter 14 do the works that Jesus does? How will we do the works that Jesus does? The answer is by faith. Believing Jesus, the sent one. Jesus is going to say, coming up in John chapter 15, a familiar passage to many, when Jesus is talking about being the vine and we are the branches and telling us to abide in him. He's going to say this in in chapter 15, verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he is the one that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Faith is what joins us to Christ. So when Jesus starts using abide language in chapter 15, we need to recognize that when he tells us to abide that we are connected to him through faith. Those who abide in Christ, those who trust in Christ, those who believe in the Lord Jesus, they bear fruit. They're attached to the vine. For those who who have no faith. That one can bear no fruit because that one is cut off from Christ. So in order to do the works that Jesus is talking about here in John 14, verse 12, we must live by faith. How do we live by faith? How do we live by faith? We live in full assurance that all the promises of God will come to pass in Jesus according to God's word. Let me say that again. How do we live by faith? We live in full assurance that all of the promises of God will come to pass in Jesus according to God's word. So, that's the first component. The works come by faith. But what are the works themselves? The works are the witness. If you look at the New Testament church, what is the fruit that God gives them over and over and over again? What are the apostles doing over and over and over again in Acts? They preach the gospel and they persevere in it. They proclaim the truth and then they get beaten up for it and then they do it again. The apostle... Tells, the apostles tell people that their sinful condition has separated them from a holy God and that Jesus died for their sin in order that they may be made right with him. In order to be forgiven, they must repent and they must believe. And some people receive that message. We're told about a bunch of instances where thousands get saved. But the apostles also are met with much hostility. They're thrown in prison. They're beaten up. That happens a lot as well. But that doesn't dissuade them. That doesn't prevent them from keep, keeping on and pushing the message further and further in the ancient world. They keep preaching the gospel. They keep persevering, and even when, in, even when enduring hardship. And this is the witness. These are the works. Jesus says in verse 12 that the one who believes in Jesus will do greater works than him. In Jesus' time on earth, his message was limited. It didn't go much further than Judea and Galilee. It was there, geographically bound. But after his ascension, the gospel would go from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And by the time we get to the end of Acts chapter, or at the end of the book of Acts, it's made its way all the way to Rome. The witness of the early church would have exploded, and the explosion that happened was unprecedented. It wasn't what happened. This may seem a little bit removed from us because we live in a world with, like the internet, and you can talk to the other side of the globe and with, with relative ease. But for the gospel over the course of a couple of decades to go from Jerusalem all the way to Rome, 1,500 miles away as the crow flies across the Mediterranean Ocean, where travel was sketchy at best, where letters may or may not be received at their destination, where communication was hard and often interrupted by many different things. This is unprecedented. Paul the Apostle Paul made it all the way to Caesar and to his household. In the end of Philippians, he, he, he signs off by writing, all the saints greet you, ex- especially those of Caesar's household. Caesar, the most powerful man in the world, the gospel reaches him, and there are those in his household who are trusting Jesus. This is an incredible thing. This doesn't happen. The greater works that Jesus said those who believe would do are the witness, the gospel, men and women proclaiming the truth of who Jesus is and taking it to the ends of the earth and persevering in the face of great trial and difficulty, following and obeying King Jesus. Jesus speaks this words to his disciples and to all those who trust Christ. And maybe you object, maybe you say, well those guys, those guys knew Jesus. They walked with him. They understood better than I understand. Or Paul, he was one of the most extraordinary figures in human history. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, surely I'm not useful in the same way that those guys were. But Jesus says these works, the gospel witness and the accompanying perseverance is for those who believe. For whoever believes, there is no such thing as a Christian who is not useful to the king. There is no such person, man, woman, boy, girl, in this place who is not useful to the king. Many Christians and many books have been written in recent years about how you can find how to be useful. How can I be useful, we ask. I don't understand. I don't know. I don't get it. And many people spend years exploring things like personality type or considering what the next ministry move is or laboring how they should serve in the church or their community. But Jesus already gives you the answer. How can you be useful to the king? And it's summed up in verse 15 in our passage. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus gives us the answer how we can be useful. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your parents. Be subject to the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as set by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Older men, be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and steadfastness. Older women, be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Younger men, be self-controlled. Sow yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. These are the commands of Christ. This is not an exhaustive list by any means, but from the Word of God given to us. From Ephesians chapters 5 and 6, from 1 Peter 2, from Titus chapter 2, from Matthew 5 and 6, and from Matthew 28. If you're wondering to yourself, how is it that I can be useful keeping Christ's commands, thereby displaying love for Him? Look at the disciples and what they did. In the Acts of the Apostles, this explosion of the gospel came through this group of ordinary, uneducated guys who were all just kind of standing around, twiddling their thumbs until Jesus showed up in their lives. All of this happened. All of these incredible works, the, the, the explosion of the gospel throughout the known world happened when they loved Jesus and put it on display by keeping His commands. And it's that simple for us too. It's that simple. If you're asking yourself, how can I be useful to King Jesus? Start by looking at those things that I said. Ephesians 5 and 6, 1 Peter 2, Titus chapter 2, Matthew 5 and 6, and Matthew 28. Begin with God's word in obedience to the simple commands given. You already know what to do. You have it in front of you this morning. Those who live by faith, they obey, and those who obey are used by Christ to proclaim his gospel. There is no such thing as a Christian who is not useful to the king. Jesus promises this. How do you do that? Obey the word of God by faith, doing the works of bearing witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ and its power, its transformative power in your life. The first promise is the promise of usefulness. Secondly, the promise of prayer, and then we see this in verses thirteen and fourteen. Jesus says, "Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it." This is a promise to uh, to troubled hearts because it reminds us that Jesus is always listening. He's not far off. He's not far off. He has drawn near to us. Sometimes these verses can be confusing. Jesus says, whatever you ask and ask me anything. And some of these verses, sometimes these verses are pulled out of this larger context of John chapter 14 and used to justify problematic positions. For instance, some have claimed that if you believe Jesus will give you anything, anything. And if you don't have those things, it's because of deficiencies in your faith. The reason you don't have health or wealth, the reason that you don't have power in this life, is because you are lacking in faith. That's problematic because it doesn't consider Jesus' the larger context here and what Jesus is trying to do with his disciple. What Jesus has set forth to do in these verses is to comfort troubled hearts. He is comforting his disciples regarding his departure. And he is promising that he will continue to use them, even in greater ways than they've seen already. And he is promising that he hears them. Even when he is gone, he will hear them. Jesus knows exactly what the disciples need to hear. This is the good word, an apt answer given in season. Jesus is not a vending machine or a genie spitting out Doritos when we enter 50 cents worth of prayer. Jesus is not giving or fulfilling our desires or our whims. So what is Jesus saying here? What is the promise? The promise is this. Jesus is forming us into His likeness, not not forming we're not forming him into art. We often so pray and we, we have a problem before us. When we pray with a predetermined solution. We say something like, God, give me this in Jesus' name. Because when you pray that prayer, it's a predetermined solution. The solution that you think that God should give. Not the one that he will give. God, if I can have this attitude or this one interaction or if I can have this relationship or this one thing, then all will be well. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name and anything, ask anything in my name, but what if the solution isn't our idea of the solution? Pray like Jesus tells his disciples to pray in the Sermon on the Mount. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus teaches us how to pray. Ask anything in my name, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ask anything in my name, I will do it. It's the works that Jesus talks about in verse 12. The promise is that if you pray to be Christ's witness, to be used by him. God, hear my prayer. Make me a witness for you where I find myself this week. you pray this in his name and by faith, he will give it to you. I wonder if we're ready to pray that. I think many of you pray that regularly, but I wonder if you here today are ready to pray that. What are your objections to praying that? Because Jesus will do it. He will do that thing. If you say, I'm old. That's a young person's prayer. Or you say, I've got a lot of things going on right now. When life slows down, I'll pray that prayer. Or I like things the way they are right now. Let's leave well enough alone. Or I've done a lot of really bad stuff in my life. I don't think Jesus would use me in this way. I'm doing what God wants. Why bother praying? That kind of prayer is for pastors or really good Christians. You get the idea. You might have an objection. But Jesus says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. To be honest, we might be afraid that he might actually do it. And that we might actually find ourselves in a position to be used mightily by Jesus. And that might make us uncomfortable. But I wonder if all of us went home today and prayed like this, what would it look like? God, use me in any way that you choose to use me. God, make me obedient to Christ. Cause me to love Jesus more than anything else. God, show me clearly your commands and your word this week and help me to obey in your strength. When we ask anything in his name, he will do it. Through the promise of usefulness and we have the promise of prayer. But third... This is a big one. We have the promise of the helper. The promise of the helper. This is the final promise we see here in our our passage today. And in verse 16, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. This is the final promise that Jesus gives to comfort His disciples. And it's vital. Because it's the promise that empowers the work. It's the promise that empowers the prayer. How is it that God will make each and every individual who he brings to himself in Christ useful for his purposes? Through the power the Spirit gives. How is it that he will incite in us the desire to pray for big things and to see God use us in mighty ways? Through the power given to us through the, the Helper. And so the comfort finds its consolation or its culmination here. The Father will give you another helper. The comfort in the wake of Jesus' words that he's going away is this. This helper will be with you forever. Look at what he says. He says, he says at the end of verse 16, he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Jesus is going away. There's There's a time limit. There's a, hard stop on their physical engagement with Jesus and he says he will be with you forever not just for the next short period of time but forever there is never a time where each and every one of us who is in Christ will not have the Holy Spirit forever The comfort in the wake of Jesus' words is that the Holy Spirit will be with us forever. And over the next few chapters, Jesus is going to introduce the Holy Spirit to his disciples, and we'll explore those together. And in chapter 16, Jesus says that it is even better for his disciples that he go away, and it is even better for us that he goes away in order that the Helper might come. And the Helper, he says, is not for this world, but for those who are joined to Christ by faith. Britta read it this morning from Romans chapter 8. Paul writes, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. And the inverse is then true. All who belong to Christ have the Holy Spirit. The Helper dwells with those and in those who are in Christ. Then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is sent at Pentecost. And from that point forward, He will be within the disciples and all who are in Christ. And so if you're in Christ, if you're here this morning, and you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells with you and within you. You are never alone. This is true for every believer. We are never alone. God himself, the third person of the Trinity, is within his people. J.C. Ryle said it like this. The Holy Spirit is given to the church of the elect, to abide with them until Christ comes the second time. He is intended to supply all the needs of believers and to fill up all that is wanting while Christ's visible presence is removed. He is sent to abide with and help them until Christ returns. Jesus will talk more about the helper, like I said, in upcoming chapters. But for now, we must know that the absence of Jesus' physical presence for us as the bride, his church, We're not left alone. God is with us. He is with everyone who is in Christ. This is God's good design. This is God's good design. It would not have been better for us if Jesus had stayed here on this earth. Jesus' promise that we are of great use to Him. Jesus' promises that our prayers are heard. Jesus' promises that we have a helper to comfort our troubled hearts a helper for the work and a helper for the prayer. Let me give you a few applications in conclusion 3. 3 things. First is this. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that you are of no use to the king. Jesus intends to use his people in his church to bring about his purposes on earth. This is God's strategy. For taking his message of the gospel to the world. Us, here, in this room. He commands us to proclaim his gospel to those who do not believe. Brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, Jesus has called you into his service. You are his servant. Christianity, oftentimes in our culture, is thought of a get out of hell free card. Or fire insurance. But that's not being a Christian at all. It is a full transfer of citizenship where you're made an ambassador. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. You live to serve the King now. And Jesus is the greatest King. Reflect with me just for a moment. Jesus is the greatest King. All the kingdoms of the earth, all of the governments that have ever been over a group of people for any period of time, The people who lead those don't know the people who they represent or who are part of their kingdom. They may know some of them, but there's no way that they know all of them. King Jesus knows every one of his subjects perfectly and intimately. He knows what concerns you. He knows what troubles you. He knows what today and tomorrow you need more than you know. No other king, no earthly king, no earthly ruler could ever have that type of intimate knowledge about everyone in their kingdom or in their land. Take comfort. King Jesus has use for you because he knows you. He knows exactly who you are because he made you. And not only did he make you and know exactly what you are of use for, he equips you for the work perfectly. He gives you literally everything that you need. He gives you His Word. He gives you His Church. And He gives you the Holy Spirit, the Helper for the work. Jesus has use for every one of us who is in Him. He gives you purpose that neither you nor anyone else on all of the earth could ever give, give to you you are of great use to the king don't fall into the trap of thinking that you are of no use to the king second application ask jesus for big things maybe you've been sharing the gospel with a coworker a friend or a family member for a long time have you gone to prayer over it have you asked that this person would believe the gospel have you prayed for perseverance And boldness in your witness to them if they reject you one, two, ten, a hundred times. Maybe you've been burdened to see more men and women, boys and girls, hearing the gospel through the witness of the people that make up Buffalo City Church. Have you prayed that God would increase our gospel influence together? Have you invited others to pray that God would use us in a mighty way to reach Jamestown and Stutzman County and North Dakota and the United States and the world? Oftentimes we express gospel endeavors. I hear those often. That's about outreach or the care of orphans, the care of widows, the care for those who are addicted in our community the care for college students, the list goes on. Have you prayed in Jesus' name that those opportunities would make themselves available to Buffalo City Church and that many would come to Jesus? Have you prayed that God may be calling you, or ask God if He is calling you, to spearhead those kinds of efforts, to lead that gospel work? Ask Jesus for big things. Don't think that you're of no use to the king. Ask Jesus for big things, and then final application, know that God is always with you. Sure, there are times in our lives where God feels far off and where we feel alone. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, was sent so that you would, in actuality, never be alone. For those who are in Christ, you are never alone. And you are not in a position to be, or you are never not in a position to be used mightily by God, no matter your station in life. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, know this, I'm about to say this, these promises are not for you. Jesus spoke these promises to those who trust Christ by faith. When I say the word Christian, I don't mean that you have turned, what I do mean is that you have turned from your sins and trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins to be made right with God. What I don't mean is that you grew up a Christian, that you grew up in the Christian tradition, that you're a good person, or even that you come to church every weekend. Because unless you repent and believe, unless you Fall upon the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You will spend eternity separated from God in hell. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, come to Christ this morning. Know that the King gives purpose. He hears his people and he never leaves them to themselves. Those promises are not for you if you are outside of Christ this morning. If that's confusing to you, come talk to me afterwards. Come talk to someone that you see up on the platform. We'd love to talk with you more. We'd love to hear your objections or just think about it with you for the first time. These promises of Jesus are a great comfort to troubled hearts. Let us now live in full assurance that all of the promises of God will come to pass in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.